welcome to Becoming Whole podcast. I am your host, Claire Bradshaw, a life coach and a yoga and meditation teacher. Join me as I explore with my guests what it means to live a life of wholeness and connectedness, a life where all parts of ourselves, our body, mind and spirit come together into alignment, where we're truly living into our own personal values and the fullest expression of who we are. So if you're a seeker, a feeler and someone wanting more from your precious life, then tune in every fortnight and let's grow together. Hello and welcome to another episode of Becoming Whole Podcast with Claire. And oh, I have such a great podcast for you today. Well, in all honesty, I love them all. All of the guests that I get on, I just really, really love having these deep conversations with. And this one is no exception. So in this week's podcast, I am speaking with Duncan Pervainen. And Duncan is one of my teachers. Um, He is originally from Toronto in Canada, but lives in Melbourne. And he's been teaching yoga since 2007. So he's been teaching yoga from a pretty young age. And he's super, super experienced. He leads retreats, workshops, and runs trainings um, for teachers across the globe. Um, And he teaches specifically alignment-based vinyasa that's inspired by Anusara, Ashtanga, Iyengar, and Annie Carpenter's Smart Flow Yoga. And not only is... Duncan, you know, a wealth of knowledge and a fantastic teacher, but he also weaves in a lot of philosophy into his um, classes and um, he really has an incredible um, basis and an incredible gift of, of bringing all elements of the yoga practice, practice together into um, a class. And plus, he's also a really nice guy and really funny. So he's kind of the package deal, really. And we have a, an incredible um, chat in this podcast. And we go deep. Uh, Duncan brings in some philosophy to help you in these times of uncertainty. And um, we also talk about the times that we're living in and how the yoga practice can really help to support us to find our center so that no matter what happens outside of us, no matter what happens in our lives, that we're able to come back home to self and to find that sense of um, resilience and stability within to help us to navigate times of deep uncertainty. Um, and um, we also talk and delve into you know how yoga teachers can really be evolving and be leading in these times of change and also you know with uh, the various challenges that and the um the, the light that is coming up in terms of seeing the racial injustice in the world and the various other injustices in the world and how as a yogic community we can, well, one, come together but also make changes in our own individual lives and really show up as the leaders in this space. Okay, so before we get to the episode today, I just wanted to quickly sneak in and ask you, how does your morning begin each day? Do you start the day with snoozing, getting up at the last minute, maybe showering, grabbing some food and then straight to your desk for work? Or do you check your emails and social media while lying in bed? Absolutely no judgment here. I totally get it. I did this for many years too. But I wanted to let you know that there is another way to start your day that sets you up with a clearer mind, a happier body and a better sense of flow, productivity and joy through the day. And that is by starting a morning practice. And this isn't something new. The yogis have a name for it. They call it a sadhana. And many successful people like Tony Robbins, Oprah, they also swear by it. I do too, and it's really changed my life. And that's why I decided to create a sacred morning practice that includes a yoga class, a breathing meditation and journal prompts to help you start your day with more clarity, presence, flow and an energy boost to tackle what comes your way with more ease. If that sounds good and sounds like something you'd like to get started with, then all you have to do is to click on the link in the show notes or head to my website and fill out your details and you'll be sent the pack today. Okay, let's get to the episode now. Hi, Duncan. Welcome to the show today. Hi, Claire. I'm so happy to be on it with you. 
Yeah, and I'm so excited to have you on the show. Um, you've been a teacher that I have been going to your classes for probably, yeah, about four years since I came back to live in Australia. Um, but you moved over to the north, so I don't get to um, come to your classes as much as I would like. But I've been really enjoying your online offerings um, over the last couple of months. And I, I've never really had a really big chat with you. So I'd love to hear more about, you know, your journey to yoga, um, because I know that you started at a pretty young age. And I'd love to hear about kind of what got you onto the mat and um, the influences you had at a young age? Yeah, um, good question. Um, I probably was first introduced to like Eastern spirituality and Native American spirituality when I was young. My parents were quite hippy-dippy. We moved from the city when I was really young into a 10-acre forest um, out in the countryside. And wow. my parents were really into like Native American folklore. Um, so I remember going to sleep at night and mom would be telling us like Native American stories. Um, we had teepees on our front lawn. Um, and then mom was also, and dad were both into like Eastern spirituality. So we started um, meditating. I think I was probably around 12 years old or 11 years old when we started meditating as a family, we learned the transcendental meditation. Wow. And um, yeah, it was, it was really cool. Like we'd drive in. <laughs> from our like little country home all the way to downtown Toronto to take these meditation classes as a family. And then we'd meditate at home together. Of course, it was not always very successful because we were little <laughs> kids and we're like, this is so boring. But if, if I remember doing it as a kid and you know, that memory sticks in my mind and it was quite helpful that technique later when I went to school for biomed. Um, so that's when I was first kind of introduced to like all I guess I'd say alternative to the norm um, with regards to spirituality. And uh, then yoga, I got introduced to yoga by a friend in high school and she had just finished her teacher training. She was in her last year of high school uh, with a local studio right downtown Uxbridge, which is the town I grew up in. And she was talking, uh, we were talking one day at the bus stop and she said, you know, Duncan, um, you know, I've really been thinking about self-love and I turned to her and I was like, well, Marnie, I truly believe that, you know, you need to be able to love yourself in order to experience genuine feelings of love towards someone else. Now, my opinion on that has changed slightly, but that's where the conversation started. <laughs> And she was like, oh, well, like, you should do yoga, Doug. And it has this rich philosophical underpinning that, you know, it sounds very like it would suit your perspective. And it also has a physical practice to it. And I was like, oh, cool. Tell me more. And, um, and that's kind of where I got into yoga. Mom also that same year invited a shaman over to our family's um, house and we did like a, a ceremony in our teepee up front. And um, she was, this, her name was Karina. And she introduced us to some yoga as well um, during a weekend like family healing ceremony. So um, that, that was kind of like my introduction to yoga. And um, I, I went to my friend's Marnie's class. I loved it. And then I just stuck with it from there, basically. Wow. And how old were you then? I was 17. 17. Wow. Yeah. What, like what an incredible start to life to have, um, you know, the, the teachings um, being presented to you at such a young age, but then also um, to be practicing with your family and have that almost interwoven into your, your childhood. Um, yeah, it was, it was, I feel very blessed and very grateful. And it was also just to be honest, like sometimes just like weird shit, you know, yeah. <laughs> I was like, as a yeah. kid going through <laughs> puberty um, and through adolescence, it's yeah. like, all right, mom comes home and says, we're having a family healing ceremony. I've brought the shaman in, you know, like, it's kind of like, you know, you're a teenager, you're going through your hormones yeah. and you're like, oh my gosh, this is so weird. Like, why is my mom making me do this? Um, but yeah, I, I feel looking back on it, very blessed and very grateful. Yeah, that's so true, isn't it? It's like, you can look back on it and go, wow, yeah, you know, that was a pretty cool, um, you know, way to grow up and all of that. But then at the time when you are a teenager going, oh no, what's going on now? <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> my my husband talks about um, his his mum's a bit of a hippie, but 
nothing nothing kind of like what you're talking about but you know he'd bring um friends home and he'd be so embarrassed because he'd go to other people's houses and they'd like you know oh i want a bag of chips or you know some sweets or whatever and his mum yeah. would bring out the fruit and the nuts and my husband was <laughs> like so embarrassed because it was just like oh god my mum's just like she's just not normal <laughs> but it's funny how you are as kids yeah, yeah totally so good. So, um, so then 17 was when you started practicing yoga and then mm -hmm. so what happened after that? Did you go straight into, um, you know, practicing on a, a daily basis that led to a teacher training or yeah. um, did some other things kind of happen along the way? Yeah. So I, I, I started, um, I went to my friend Marnie's class when I was 16 and did a few of her classes and was like, wow, I really like this. I probably only did like six classes. Um, maybe less, maybe four. And then um, I was like, I want to learn more about this. The studio is running a teacher training. And I was like, oh, I want to sign up. And when I told the studio owner I want to sign up by email, she's like, okay, come meet me in person. So I went, because I was only 16 at the time. Mm. Um, and then I went and met her. And she's, because I think she, like, she's probably like, who's the 16 year old that wants to sign up for this yeah. yoga teacher training? Um, and we met and she was really lovely and she's like, okay, yes, um, I'd, I'd love to have you on the training. And um, I did the training when I was 17 years old and that was kind of, I'd say that's probably like when I started doing yoga a little more seriously. Um, and that's how I got into it and did the teacher training and right after the teacher training went into teaching, I taught uh, teen yoga. Wow. <laughs> yeah, teen yoga for teenagers and it was yeah. so so cute and um, then I also taught free yoga classes at my high school for my peers during lunchtime. I'd have like anywhere from one person showing up to four people showing up, sometimes no people showing up. I, I rented mm -hmm. out the wrestling room and then I also taught um, free yoga classes for the teachers after school. Um, oh. And you would have anywhere from, you know, I think the most teachers I had were four or five teachers. And then sometimes yeah. no teachers would show up. But I just, I just tried to do what I could do at that young age and just keep teaching. What a gift, though. And, uh, you know, at such a young age to then kind of like straight away go into teaching your peers, but then also your teachers. Like, wow. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's incredible. And um, and so then you continued through um, school. Did you go to university after that or did you? Yeah, I took, I took a year off and traveled. I went um, to India, I went through Europe. Mm -hmm. I worked um, at a couple orphanages in Africa, uh, in Ghana uh, for yeah. a few months. And then I came home and worked at a youth empowerment camp, like a wilderness canoe tripping camp up north. Um, and then I went to biomed and um, when I was at university for biomedical sciences, I was do teaching yoga on the side, like as a part-time job. And um, then I went to school for dance. I dropped out of biomed, went to school for dance, for performance dance, was still teaching yoga on the side and then dropped out of school for dance and yeah. went into working in retail at Lululemon uh, ah. full time, uh, folding stretchy pants and uh, was teaching yoga full time, uh, sorry, part time then as well. And then I eventually transitioned into teaching yoga full time. Okay, so during all of that time then, yoga was a constant in your life? Yes, um, yeah. except for when I, when I traveled the world, I kind of just stopped doing yoga altogether. I was just, I immersed myself kind of in the travel, traveler lifestyle mm -hmm. and experience, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And what I noticed um, when I came back from um, living over overseas, came back to live in Melbourne, something that really struck me about the way that you teach is um, I, I found that it was very original in terms of the, the way that you were able to weave the philosophy into the class whilst also um, teachings through the body as well. So you did the two together and um, to me, that really, um, really, really struck me as something that was quite different. Um, so tell me, what were your um, what were your influences from a teaching perspective? Uh, definitely dance, you know, and yeah. dance. We're so focused on the body, and it's very much about how you're moving your body and expressing yourself through your body. 
So I love going to yoga class and being told very specifically um, mm. how to move the body or, or not how to move the body, but how to um, pay attention to the body. Yes. That's, that's what I'm saying, to pay attention to the body. You know, a, a skillful dancer or a skillful mover can really pay attention to how they're moving each joint and the entire body and express it themselves in a very beautiful but highly sensitive way. So I'd say that comes from my dance background and definitely from my dance teachers of just like pay attention to how you're moving, to what you're doing, mm -hmm. um, to how you're, you're, you're moving your arm, how you're pressing down through your big foot. What are you doing with your inner thigh? You know, what, what are you doing with your butt? You know, all these different um, perspectives of, of the body and how you're using those parts of the body. So that's why I like to get pretty detail orientated sometimes is to yeah. really allow people and give the space for people to just pay attention, like connect with your big toe, connect with your inner knee, connect with your hip, connect with your shoulder. Can you allow yourself to be sensitive to those regions? And then um, the philosophy, like I've always loved philosophy. So I love sharing philosophy and I, I like interweaving it throughout class, mm -hmm. but um, in, in a, I would say in a, uh, <laughs> in a minimalist approach, I like talking at the beginning about yeah. philosophy. And then I talk a little bit about philosophy throughout class in a very minimalist fashion. Cause once we start practicing the asana, to me, it's like, that's kind of like the moment to pay attention to what your body's doing and not so mm. much be contemplating philosophical talkings. Yeah. Because when I listen to a story during my asana practice, it takes me kind of out of my body and mm. it takes me into the story, which is also a beautiful experience. But coming from that dance background where it's like, oh, it's so nice to really ground down into my physical body. Mm. When I'm doing asana, I love physical instruction and physical attention rather yeah. than physical, uh, philosophical meandering. So I try to do mm. philosophy at the beginning, philosophy at the end, and then minimalist philosophy throughout class. Yeah, I feel that as well, like practicing with you that, you know, you, you frame it really well, at, you know, at the start, because it's like there, there is a specific theme and it's something that, yeah, does then come through the entire practice. But like you're saying, because your instructions are so detailed, you're really physically um, and mentally in your body, like the, the embodiment that happens, or for me personally, um, is incredible. And I've found that that skill in, in helping me to really, truly drop down into my body, I'm able to feel things that maybe that I haven't ever felt before from those detailed um, instructions and cues. And um, I think that's really powerful because I think for so many of us, we're actually like out of our body most of the time. Mm -hmm. So to have totally. those, those specific cues and actually really feel into, there's something um. I've found that through, you know, the practice of um, dropping in like that, um, some profound changes have happened within my body as a result. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Yeah, it's really, really special. And then I love how at the end of the class, then you wrap it all up together. Yeah, well, it's like, it's nice to, you know, yoga in a way is kind of storytelling. Mm. And a good story has a, a conclusion. You know the story mm. is over now and um, and you understand the message. And I feel sometimes if, it, if there's not a good conclusion, then it's easy to miss out on what the class was offering or the intentionality of the class. Um, so yeah, I, I, try to, I try my best. You know, we all, we all have our days, but I try my best to always have like, a, a very clear conclusion to the end of class um, yeah. that kind of wraps up the philosophical underpinning. Yeah, I love that. I love that, like how it is, yeah, it's like a, a story, you know, from the start to the end, or it is like a journey that you travel on. Um, mm -hmm. And then you end in the Shavasana, the corpse pose, and you just like let go of it all. Um, totally. Yeah, it's just beautiful. Um, so tell me, so you, you did your training, you taught um, over in um, Canada, and then mm -hmm. what brought you to Australia? Love, I fell in love. Oh. Well, originally it was um, the love of my family, my, both my sisters, they live in Byron Day. 
Um, so I came to visit them. I surprised them for Christmas one year. They didn't know I was coming. So um, I flew down and went up to Byron Bay with my mom and I surprised my sisters. And then within three days or a few days of being in Byron Bay, I met Joe uh, uh, on a date. We went out for pizza at Quattro in Lenox Head. And um, oh, I was smitten right away. He's the cutest thing in the whole world. Oh. And he, um, unbeknownst to me at the same time, uh, unbeknownst to me at the time, he felt the same way. But we went on a few dates and just fell head over heels for each other. So that was the beginning of the long journey to move to Australia. Oh, amazing. And so did you move straight away or did that take some time? No, it took time. Um, I was running a 200 hour teacher training in Bali in February. So I met Joe around Christmas and uh, I said to him, you know, would you be interested in being my Valentine? I was being a sappy romantic. Oh. <laughs> and, I, and he's like, oh yeah, for sure. I'd love to be your Valentine, but that's in February. And right now it's like December. And, you know, are you going to come back to Australia in February? And I said, well, I am teaching a teacher training in Bali. So I'll just swing by Australia on the yeah. way to Bali. Um, so I, I came and visited him before um, the teacher training in Bali. And then after the training was done in Bali, I came back to, Mel uh, to Melbourne because that's where he mm -hmm. was living yeah. and um, visited him then again. And then we did, oh, I think six, ooh, maybe, uh, well, I moved to Australia in September. So we did like, I think seven or eight months long distance. Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then you moved over after that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So he came to Canada for three weeks. Um, and then, and then, yeah, I decided prior to him coming to Canada that, you know what, my life in Canada, like I don't really have anything holding me there other than an amazing career and a yoga community that I love. Like mm. I can easily pick up my life and move to Australia to be with this amazing human. So I made that decision to kind of just leave everything behind and show someone um, how much I love them. And also, you know, just take a chance on love. Yeah. Amazing. So you, you live here and do you, both of your sisters still live in Australia? Yep, they both live in Byron Bay. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Well, you... around there, yeah. Yeah, do you have any other siblings? No, that's it. So my sister. All of you live over here. <laughs> yeah, we all live over here. Poor mom is like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> She's not tempted to come and live over here. Um, she is very tempted to come move over here, but it's a big process. And, um, yeah. you know, she has uh, commitments in Canada. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, wow, so in I did your 10-day um, immersion. I did most of the days. <laughs> um, and, um, which Congratulations, was good thank job. You. Thank you, thank you. And you told us a story on one of the, um, on one of the days about um, sense of belonging and how when you moved over to live in Australia, um, it was quite challenging at the start. Mm. Um, kind of, you know, leaving yeah, friends and family, leaving, you know, a career that you'd established, leaving a sense of community and, um, you know, coming to another country where you, um, you describe, you know, they're just the feeling a little bit different. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, um, and I experienced the same thing as well when I came to live in Australia without actually knowing that that was what I was experiencing. It's only reflecting mm -hmm. back that, um, so I, I felt different and I felt like I didn't belong. Mm -hmm. And um, I've actually had a few conversations with a lot of people who um, live in Australia that have had similar experiences. And I'd love to um, talk a little bit more about how you navigated that mm -hmm. and um, how you kind of lent on some of the philosophy to help you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it was a big transition um shockingly so i i just thought oh i'm in australia and everything will be fine you know? yeah. <laughs> and it was it was it was actually very challenging and to this day it does present some mm. challenges still um yeah. and the, the, the first thing so as a species when we're in a threatening circumstance 
um, or a circumstance where we're trying to survive, we tend to look through three filters. So it's three ways of kind of perceiving a threat or a circumstance where we're more focused on survival. And the first thing, you know, we talked about this on the 10 day immersion was by separating yourself from the environment so that you can better perceive any potential danger. So, you know, when I first moved to Australia, one of the first things I picked up on right away were all the subtle differences. Australia mm-hmm. and Canada are very similar, but there's also all these subtle differences, like, for example, the accent for the way they say certain things, like mm-hmm. um, arugula instead of rocket, you know, just these little subtle differences. Um, you know, racism, I find a little bit more prevalent here. Um, sexism mm-hmm. as well, like just these, all these subtle differences that I picked up on. And I kind of, uh, that's all I noticed was like all these differences. And in my head, it was like, oh, Australia is so different than Canada. And you know, now that I don't have that mindset so much anymore, I'm like, I can see how similar we are. And that's like, I just go around and see how connected and similar we all are um, uh, as two countries. But originally it was like, I was separating. It's like when you walk into the forest and it's an unknown environment and you kind of pick up like, oh, that's a big gorilla with big arms. Like that I'm separate to that gorilla. It's so big. Like you notice the differences so that you can better protect yourself against this potential threat. Like, oh, they're bigger. They're more muscular. They have more power. Like if they attacked me, I could be dead meat. So Mm. you kind of just pick out everything that's different. So that's one of the first things I did when I moved to Australia is I picked out all the differences rather than kind of looking for similarities. And then the second thing we kind of do as a species is, you know, we seek out stability. So when when, when we're in a circumstance where we feel threatened or we're seeking survival, we seek out stability, like the most stable environment possible to comfort Mm -hmm. ourselves. And so when I moved here, I was like, all right. Uh, I would go out for a little bit during the day. I wasn't working yet. Um, I'd go out for a little bit during the day. And then I was like, okay, that's enough. I'm going in. And I'd spend the rest of the day just watching Netflix in Joe's apartment. <laughs> like just watching Netflix, um, tidying up the apartment, making some food in the apartment. And then that was it. That was my day. And then the next day, go out for a little bit, walk around the city a little bit, get used to my environment. But then it was too much. And I'd go back to this um, stable environment which was the apartment and Netflix yeah and that's how I kind of comforted myself and you know as a species we're wired to do that too because we chase stability because that's how we feel we'll be able to you know survive and then the last one is you know we chase opportunities and avoid threats like when we're in an environment where we feel threatened or unsafe we're always going to chase an opportunity and do our best to avoid any potential threat So for me, when I first moved here, I was like, the biggest threat, Claire, for me Mm. when I first moved here was creating new relationships because Mm. I didn't know if anything was going to work out. I didn't know if I'd get my partner visa. I didn't know, you know, what would happen with Joe and I, you know, Mm. the, the, the visa de facto relationship visa is quite a lengthy, big process. So I, there was just so much unknown. And so I was like, I don't want to spend the time creating new friends um because I just don't know what's gonna happen and I was also in that mindset of like oh it's so different here like I just don't feel like I can connect with people because it's so different (laughs) you know so that's that 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 first one uh impacting the third one and so my way of dealing with this with this was oh I'll just do I'll go to Bali for a month and do a yoga training in Bali I'll go to Thailand for a month and do a training in Thailand Mm -hmm. I'll go back to Canada and run a two-month yoga teacher training with the students that I know there and already have a relationship with there so Mm -hmm. I became this very flighty person where you know I was avoiding the threat of creating new relationships for fear of failure and chasing known quantities that I would know would give me pleasure. Now, the end result of that is that it actually caused more suffering for me because I wasn't creating a home where I wanted to be at home. Mm. You know, I wanted to create a home in Australia. I wanted to have meaningful friends and relationships here, but I was too scared to try them. And as a result, I was chasing all these opportunities, but avoiding threats. Um, So those were kind of like... um, 
the three things that I went through and kind of how I deconstructed them was like, after a while of feeling safe and just a little more settled here, I was like, oh yeah, like Australia is not that different than Canada. Sure, there are differences, but you know, there is also a lot of similarities. So seeking out what connects mm. us rather than what divides us. Yeah. And then instead of um, chasing stability, it was being okay with uncertainty. And, you know, I don't need to spend m- all my time in the apartment. Like I can go out and apply for a job and I can go out and meet new people and go to different studios and just kind of push myself outside of my comfort zone a little. Mm. So it was once I felt safe enough, it was like, okay, I don't need this stability anymore. Like I can be okay facing uncertainty and embracing uncertainty and putting myself out there a bit more. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, after feeling a little more safe here, it was also, I was okay with doing things that I perceived as a threat, like building new relationships, um, I was like, okay, you know what? I feel comfortable enough here that, you know, I'm going to start building relationships, even though that I find that a little bit scary and intimidating. I know that at the end of the day, that's what I want. So I have to mm-hmm. be able to, you know, rise to that occasion instead of just doing the things that I always find comfortable. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, I mean, that's so amazingly articulated. Um, in terms of like all of the different stages that you experience, but also the fact that you were then able to then work through that in a systematic way. Did, were you aware that you were falling into those patterns at the time or was that more on reflection later on when you realized you'd kind of fallen into them? Um, later I, at the time I was blissfully unaware yeah. of <laughs> I would like to say that I was mm. as mindful and enlightened and mm. I was totally aware of what I was doing but I was not um yeah. I was very much um I think I downplayed how overwhelmed I was if anything yeah. I kind of downplayed how overwhelmed mm. I was yeah and uh, a lot of this is looking back on in hindsight the one thing that I did pick up and I caught myself on and called myself out on because I remember having conversations with Joe about it was mm-hmm. my continuously going away on yoga trips or yoga trainings or going back to Canada. And mm-hmm. I was like, wow, I'm not, not giving Australia a chance and I'm not mm-hmm. creating relations, strong relationships here. So that's one thing I, I noticed kind of, um, after a few months, I was like, wow, I'm really yeah. just flying away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. It kind of seeking out that comfort and that familiar- yeah. familiarity um, yeah. rather than, yeah. And it's interesting what you were saying. It's like, well, when you realize, no, actually, I do want to stay here and I do want to be in Australia. So therefore, me running away is not going to help to create the, the life that I want to have in Australia. Yes. So yeah, having having that. Um, so so interesting. I suppose with with this as well, it all connects to the root. Yeah, the root chakra. So mm-hmm. feeling into that. You know, when you move countries, your your root chakra gets destabilized, right? Totally. And, and so then that kind of sense of belonging in the community and your tribe, it all mm. kind of like it all kind of separates. It all disappears. So then you're kind of almost you know, and particularly when you fly, you know, we're, we're the other side of the world, um, you know, from home. So it's, it is probably from a primal perspective, it's actually quite a big shock for the body. Totally. Yep. Totally. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Which makes a lot of sense. Like I know that for, for myself, um, I lived in Australia for seven years, the first time, Mm -hmm. And um, I wasn't on a yoga path then. So I was in corporate and doing Mm -hmm. that. And so had no awareness of my body was really disembodied. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And, um, but yeah, I just felt so different. And I really um, subconsciously separated myself from really, um, really living in Australia and really loving it because I felt half of me was still energetically over in England. (laughs) Oh, totally. Yeah. And so, but then when I came back to live over here, I had a lot more awareness. So then I could feel myself going back into those old patterns, but I was able to see it, see it in a different light, realizing that I had made the choice to come and live here. And actually I was a hundred percent committed to living here. 
Beautiful. Um, versus having half of me still over in England, wondering what everyone else was doing over there and <laughs> wishing I was there. Um, which, yeah, which was a big difference. But yeah, yeah it, is, it is a big shift um, for, for the body. And you touched on, um, you know, dealing with the uncertainty. So when you came over here, there was no guarantees. There was no guarantees that, you know, your career was going to pick up like it, you know, was in Canada. There was no guarantees that your relationship was going to work. You know, there was a lot of yeah. unknowns there. And yeah. um, I'd love to talk a little bit more about dealing with uncertainty and dealing with the unknown because, you know, this time in history, we've all been thrown into that place. And, um, you know, whilst individually we can be in that place you know at different times in our lives um, I think what's really impactful about this time is that we're all in it together um, how have you been um, leaning on the yogic philosophy eastern philosophy to help you through this time and what could you offer people listening that's a really big question. Um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll speak from personal experience. Yeah. For me, it's so helpful to have a practice. Mm. You know, like this, this is, this is both in Buddhism, both in classical yoga philosophy In Buddhism, it's known as Marga, the path, like the eightfold path known as Marga, you need to have a path. Mm. Um, there's going to be suffering, there's going to be change, um, there's going to be uncertainty. And one way that can help you with this is by having a path, you know, in yoga, it's a vyasa, having a practice. Um, so both, you know, both of these lineage, lineages kind of underpin, you know, we need to have a practice or a path that we can um, follow or dedicate ourselves towards if we're not following anything. And uh, so, so when I first moved here and faced so much uncertainty, like I just threw myself into my asana practice. I just did yoga all the time. Bikram yoga, Ashtanga yoga. Like I was just at the yoga studio a lot, did a lot of yoga in Joe's apartment. Um, and that was my saving grace because mm -hmm. it's a practice that teaches you how to find your center no matter what's going on. So, you know, for a lot of people, that's a lot of different things, but to have a practice that helps you find your center, no matter what happens, is incredibly invaluable during moments of uncertainty, which let's face it, your whole life is uncertain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to have a routine or a tradition that you can turn to that is consistent, um, is really, really, really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, so that it's kind of been the biggest thing to me. Um, yeah. And 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 the acceptance of you know, you know, this is bigger in Buddhism is the acceptance of suffering. Mm -hmm. You know, like I think I joked about this in our our ten day immersion. You know, everything's changing. The one thing that is constant in our life is change and the fact that you have to pay taxes. Yeah. And then in the 10-day immersion, I was like, oh, and someone called me out um, a few years ago and was like, well, Donald Trump doesn't pay taxes. And I was like, oh, that's so true. And, you know, I'll, here we go, talking about, um, you know, social injustice. A lot of very wealthy people don't pay taxes. So we can't, <laughs> that's yeah, no longer yeah. constant. But one mm -hmm. constant is, is that, you know, um, everything is changing. Yeah. Um, we will all die and we all suffer. Yeah, it's those are constants. Um, so I think the sooner we can acknowledge, okay, this life has uh, an element of suffering to it. Mm. And how can I learn to be okay with suffering uh, mm. is probably the most powerful practice, especially when we're facing moments of uncertainty. Yeah. And you know, the worst suffering is when we don't know how to be with suffering. Mm. You know, the worst suffering is when we don't know how to be with suffering. So this is this is the underpinning of both yoga and Buddhism. You know, can you keep showing up to your practice when it's uncomfortable? Can you stay for 10, 20, 30 minutes in meditation even when it's not so comfortable anymore? Yeah. Can your practice be about more than feeling good mm. and about knowing what is true? 
because as soon as the practice, you know, is, if your practice is just about feeling good, you'll stop doing it once you feel good. Mm. If your practice is about knowing what is true, it will kind of take you to the next level. Of course, feeling good is so important. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, yeah. I, like I often practice to feel good. Like, so important to feel good. But you're not always going to feel good every day. So it has to be, a, a, I, I believe, about something a little bit deeper than that. Like, to know what is true. And one thing that is true is that everything's changing. That there will be an element of suffering in this in our life. And how can we be okay with that? And, yeah. you know, both Buddhism and, you know, yoga talk about non-attachment, giving space for things to change. Um, so those are kind of like philosophical concepts. And it's like, how do we actually practice that? And it can be as simple as like meditation. It can yeah. be as simple as asana. It can be as simple as pranayama repeated over and over and over again and facing moments of discomfort and being okay with those moments of discomfort rather than pushing them away yeah for sure and i i think that's such an important um part of the practice um because the practice is it is a spiritual practice and um and i love how like in your classes you bring that into the physical asana in the fact that we do hold the poses for really long periods of time and in holding that pose for a long period of time, you, you don't escape before you start to feel <laughs> that discomfort. You're in it. Mm -hmm. And um, I think there's something really powerful in that because you then get to witness um, how do you meet the discomfort? what's going on yeah, totally mind. what's going on in the mind and how that that's and that's been huge for me in my practice i did ashtanga in india that was my first training mm -hmm. and um you know just staying in the poses for five breaths so much stuff came to the surface so mm -hmm. many and as time went on you know it became like a meditative thing because but that you know after a few weeks you know the um the sequence and um so many times i'd be in a pose and so much you know bullshit thinking would rise mm. to the surface and um, but also memories of the past started to come up where i played small or i said something or whatever and it all just kind of like everything was just arising to be seen and then mm. to be let go of it was really powerful mm. Mm, yeah, holding poses has value. I mean, same with flowing through poses has value. They yeah. both have value. Um, and we need to, I think, as yoga practitioners, uh, pay attention to what becomes our habitual way of practicing mm. and have the capacity to challenge that every now and then because, you know, that's where the growth and the change happens when we challenge our habitual ways yeah. of of being and also to maintain that focus in the face of challenge like not let yourself start overthinking everything you know it's so mm -hmm. funny teaching classes with slightly longer holds and you know i have teachers that hold poses way longer than i teach people to hold poses mm -hmm. and to see how people you can see it viscerally in their body yeah. once they get to a certain threshold they just they start you can see it in their eyeballs and literally in their skin, how they just start getting overcome by their thoughts. Yeah. And that's like such a good place to be in your yoga practice to be, mm. okay, I'm starting to overthink this. Yeah. And is it helpful to overthink this? And usually the answer is always no. So it's how can I face this challenge in a way where I'm not allowing myself to be overcome by thoughts that mm. are unhelpful. Yeah. And I think this is why, you know, people who are really doing this practice kind of have a no BS attitude and have this high capacity to focus and not be overcome by overthinking. It's mm. good to think about things and be critical, but you can, you can also overdo that. And when you, overthink things it's very easy to become doubtful and to um 
to kind of get caught up in your mind, which is the antithesis of yoga. Yoga is yoga chitta vritti nirodaha. Yoga is having the ability to calm your mind no matter what circumstance you're in, mm-hmm. um, or at least having the mental fortitude to be mindful of what you're thinking and choosing a narrative that will be helpful for you in that moment. Mm, Yeah, so powerful, so powerful. And like you were saying, it's, you know, it's it's in the physical asana, it's in the pranayama when something is feeling uncomfortable and you want to stop. And, you know, the mind's just going or, or you're in meditation and the body aches and or, you know, the mind's going on board. When's this going to end? I did Vipassana mm-hmm. and wow, like, you know, just sitting there in Vipassana going, what time is it? Oh, I want this to end, you know, like just being in that and just witnessing where the mind is going. But through that practice, then in daily life, when shit hits the fan, because it does, because that's what happens, that we're just able to deal with it in a way that it doesn't overcome us because we've been practicing. We're able to be present with it. Yeah. We're able to be present with it without be without getting lost in our thoughts yeah. of it. Yeah. And usually our thoughts take us out of that present moment. You you see anyone who's mm. done any type of um, mental training mm. uh, or spiritual practice, like with enough discipline or you know commitment, they have that the mental fortitude to be present in the face of challenge, um, you know, and not be overcome by overthinking it. Yeah. Yeah. So true. So true. And, you know, what you said before as well, just about uncertainty, you know, while I think that this time has hit a lot of people hard because there can be a feeling of, you know, my life, I have control over my life, or there could be a feeling of, well, I know when I'm going to work and what time I'm going to come home and, you know, where my house is and everything feels stable. Mm -hmm. But I think that during this time, um, it's hit a lot of people to realize that actually we don't have control and that there actually is uncertainty always. It's Mm -hmm. just, it's maybe hit us harder um, all together, you know, at the same time. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. And that's why these practices become so important, you know, because it's very easy for the mind to go on the spiral right mm-hmm. away. Like, so in these moments of where everything's changing, it's so helpful to have a practice um, to mm-hmm. turn to, to, to kind of bring yourself uh, back to center, wherever your center may be that day. Um, to just to kind of be like okay everything's changing everything has changed you know what can I do to help my mind be a little more present in the face of this challenge Mm. rather than you know projecting way into a future of worry Mm, yeah yeah so true I love that um, yeah, it's finding yeah that inner center that that sense of kind of support within yourself to be able to to um, to be with whatever whatever comes up around um, mm-hmm. you know in the in the greater world or in our greater lives. So good. Um, so we're coming to the end of the interview, but I wanted to and this is another really big um, topic, but um, I'd like to you know just get your thoughts on. Um, you know, what has um, occurred in America over the last um, couple of weeks and then um, with George Floyd's um, death in the States and um, the impact that that has had um, globally um, in terms of raising some big, um, some big, you know, issues, some big traumas um, to the surface and, um, and, and the support of 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 the world you know of people all over the world protesting and and potential you know big changes in structures and in systems and mm-hmm. i'd love to kind of bring it to the the yoga space in terms of uh you know what are your thoughts in terms of how yogis can better be showing up um to be more inclusive 
and to welcome diversity, how maybe yoga studios can be um, welcoming more diversity into studios as well. These are pretty big questions that I've been having with in you know yoga um, studios, but also with other um, teachers. And I'd love to get your perspective. Okay. Um, <laughs> big questions. Good job. Oh, no, big questions. We go in there. <laughs> yeah. It, well, it's, it's very important to go there. And um, so thank you for asking those questions. I think more of us need to be doing this. Um, I'll, pre I'll preface this by saying, you know, I, I'm still learning about all of this. I yeah. still have a lot to learn and um, I'm still making mistakes around this. And, you know, I'll preface it by saying, you know, I am a white queer, um, abled man. So, you know, I have to mm. acknowledge my own privilege when speaking on these issues. Um, mm. So I think it's, uh, these are good questions. Uh, I think one of the biggest and answers that I could give to this question that I think is really simple and concise and kind of what I've been hearing talked about um, by other, by, by, you know, people of color, black, indigenous people, um, mm -hmm. some of my other queer friends uh, is, and disabled people as well. We, we have to acknowledge mm -hmm. our privilege. Yeah, for sure. And so let me, let me say this, who are you listening to? As a yoga studio owner, who are you listening to? As a yoga teacher, who are you listening to? As, um, you know, whatever your profession is, who are you listening to? Um, white people need to listen to black people. Mm. White people need to listen to, you know, black indigenous people of color. Yeah. Abled people need to listen to disabled people. Mm. Heterosexual people need to listen to, you know, the queer people and that whole umbrella. Um, men need to listen to women. And so we, we all need to kind of acknowledge the privilege that we have and we need to start um, where we have privilege. We need to start listening to people who don't have privilege in that region and listen to them. And then also decide once we've listened, you know, how are we going to act to support these marginalized communities? Um, so, yeah, I think listening is a big thing and acknowledging our privilege and then acting in a way. So, you know, my big thing with yoga studios, and this has been for quite some time, is that it's not accessible to a huge demographic of people. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not. Yoga yeah. is not accessible to a lot of people, especially yoga studios. Like most studios are like $25 in Melbourne to drop in. Some are even more. It's, it's, it's insane, yeah. you know, um, and, you know, I'm guilty of this too. You know, I teach at most studios that I teach at are $25 drop-in, $24 drop-in. Mm. Um, back a few years ago, I started doing some more online stuff because I was like, I want to make yoga more accessible for people. And, you know, yoga can be more accessible when it's online, it's on YouTube and it's free and people don't, people aren't constrained by their financial income. Mm. Um, so I think ways that yoga studios can do this, you know, I probably wouldn't be the best person to listen to about this. Mm. Um, I think there are other people who could speak much better than I could, but, you know, make yoga more accessible financially, make mm. your yoga classes more accessible, you know, location wise as well. So that probably means going online because that's very mm. accessible for a lot of people. Mm. Um, you, you know, and in some ways that's not accessible for other demographics, people who don't have internet. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's a big conversation. Yeah. Your teacher trainings, how do you market yourself, you know, and your advertising material, are there people of color? Um, on your teacher training, do you talk about white privilege and, you know, racism and whatnot? You know, yoga itself was built, uh, highly popularized during the Indian independence movement which was a whole movement about, you know, racism and systemic oppression of the British on the Indian, uh, on India. Um, and so yoga in and of itself has this huge social justice component to it. Yeah. If you go back through its history that, you know, yoga was highly popularized during the Indian independence movement because, you know, people in India were like, what, what is our culture? 
Mm. What can we celebrate? And, you know, what can we do to remind us, like, these are our roots to combat the whitewashing of the British. And so that's, you know, why yoga in a lot of ways became so popular during the 1900s. It's because of the Indian independence movement and to combat racism and systemic oppression and whitewashing of, you know, the Indian culture. So, you know, yoga has this in its roots. So I think it's it's very inspiring in that aspect. Mm. And I think we can be doing a lot more, myself included, of, you know, uh, how we're making yoga more accessible to um, marginalized communities. And, mm. and but beyond that, making ourselves more accountable for, you know, our own racist, biased thinking and yeah. acknowledging our own, privilege and you know scholarships you know how many yoga studios offer scholarships or you know teacher trainings offer scholarships you know so many of these teacher trainings are so expensive and you know maybe I know a few in Melbourne that offer one or two scholarships and that's it you know that's it and and how easy and accessible are those scholarships? Because some people, you know, feel intimidated to apply for them. So I think what this whole movement has done is created a lot more conversation. Yeah. And I, I think it's, I feel so grateful because I've learned so much and I'm still learning so much. And yeah, it's a big conversation. And I'm, I'm happy to hear that yoga studios are talking about it a bit more. Yeah. Uh, it's really important. Yeah, I so agree. Like, I think that um, whilst there's no no answers, you know, just asking, like you were saying, listening and mm-hmm. asking the questions and having the que- the conversations and going there, that together we can make a big change to um, to the industry and how each of us individually is showing up, and then um, and then how the how hopefully that then translates into the the studio environment and how we can become more yeah accessible and um and you know welcoming um to border communities i know for myself last year i was i was doing some volunteer work in um in a, a home for people who are mentally disabled and mm. Um, I didn't feel like I had the, I suppose, the, the experience or the education. I mean, mm-hmm. there was some support there for sure, which was really good. And I, I went into their environment, you know, their environment, like, so they weren't coming to a yoga studio. Um, but it really struck me how incredible the practices are and how healing the practices can be for absolutely everyone Mm -hmm. and how in a yoga studio environment there are so many um barriers of entry whether Mm -hmm. that's the financial barrier whether that's i'm questioning what i wear as a yoga studio as a a yoga teacher to a studio Mm -hmm. i listened to a talk by joe buick um on the yoga school with uh, Yoke Online, and she was talking about as a as a um, as a teacher because she goes out into communities and things like that. And she she says most of the time as a teacher she'll wear baggy clothes so that she's you know so that she's not appearing like you know you can only do yoga if you look a certain way or you wear mm-hmm. these like you know. So it's just. Yeah, I'm just in a place of asking a lot of questions of myself at the moment. Yeah, it's so good. It's um, all those little things are so important mm, in, on Instagram, on your Instagram yeah. stories. You know, what type of stories are you sharing? Who are those people you're yeah. sharing stories? I mean, I, I'm not going to get into this too much, but it's so funny. I, I see people, you know, fighting against racial injustice or, you know, waking up to these conversations about racial inequality. And then they share on their Insta story a post by, you know, um, you know, people calling COVID a hoax, you know, these conspiracy mm-hmm. theories around coronavirus being a hoax and not real. And it's like, okay, like, here's privilege again, you know, mm-hmm. because, you know, who does coronavirus, who does COVID disproportionately impact mm-hmm. people of color? You know, who's dying the most of coronavirus in the US right now? People of color. 
Mm. You know, that, that demographic is disproportionately impacted by coronavirus. So if you're a yoga teacher and you're spreading, you know, these conspiracy theories around, you know, coronavirus, you know, let's take a step back and see who that is impacting the most. If we truly believe that COVID is a hoax and it's not real, okay, but who's that going to impact the most negatively? And that's usually marginalized communities. Mm. So it's like, it's even like, like you said, like paying attention to what you wear as a yoga teacher, it's, mm. it's tuning into all these subtleties yeah. and it can get, a, it can get a little overwhelming, you know, yeah. it, can, it can get overwhelming because you're like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> I have to censor <laughs> myself, like, yeah. oh my gosh, I'm going to destroy the world. So yeah. that's where, yeah. that's where the yoga comes back in and, you know, can you have the mental fortitude to not overthink this? And, you know, that's where, you know, very good instruction and alignment comes from is to pay um, sensitivity to our physical body. And hopefully that sensitivity, you know, that we focus on in an alignment-based class, that same sensitivity can carry over into our actions, how we're expressing ourselves on social media, who we're supporting on social media, their background you know so we just become mm -hmm. more sensitive of things yeah. and we don't um and during these things i think it can be very easy to be like beating ourselves up aggressively especially yeah. if we're more sensitive people and mm -hmm. to not to fall into that because you know yeah. yoga is about being able to be present and being uncomfortable with at without adding discomfort and more discomfort to the already uncomfortable experience just being present with it like oh yeah i'm being present with this there's no need for me to overthink it it's important to think critically but there don't fall into the trap of overthinking it and then judging yourself and then you know um being highly aggressive with yourself just be present acknowledge you know the present moment hold yourself accountable but you don't need to add more suffering to the suffering that's already present yeah, I think that's such a good point, um, Duncan, because I definitely found at the start of all of this, um, you know, like a few, well, a few weeks ago, I mean, it's been going on for how many, you know, hundreds of years, of course, yeah. um, but in terms of actually really looking at myself, you know, because previously, yeah. you know, I hadn't white privilege, like I was, I totally played my part in all of um, what has been going on. Um, so, but actually really sitting with it and starting to question myself, I did go into a place of shame and guilt. And, mm -hmm. and, I and it's good it. to feel that. Like, uh, let yourself feel that, yeah. but don't get like, um, yeah. don't let yourself yeah. get like totally yeah. drawn into this dark world by like, let yourself feel shame. Yeah. I think that's really important for us to feel, you know, like yeah. we need to allow ourselves yeah. to feel this and be present with it without um, falling into the trap of totally overthinking it, it and um, letting it pull us into this place of inaction. Like allow ourselves to feel it, but then be present with it and then act from a place that you're being present with it. Yeah. Yeah. So true. Oh, amazing. Thank you so much for all of your wisdom, Duncan. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you with us and um, sharing your journey as well and being super open. So I really appreciate that. And I'm sure a lot of people have got, um, you know, a lot of wisdom from this conversation as well. So thank you. Um, uh, thanks so much for having me, Claire. It's been wonderful. You're so welcome. And is there anything that's kind of going on for you in terms of trainings or sharings that you're like offering um, at the moment that you'd like to mention? Um, nothing at the moment. I, I, I do run teacher trainings and I've been focusing more on advanced teacher trainings for people who are already teachers. Uh, I'm offering online classes on my YouTube account, Duncan Yoga, and on my Instagram, Duncan Yoga. Uh, so I'm trying to do more online stuff and it's all for free or by donation if you feel so inclined so that it's super accessible because, uh, you know, a lot of us have lost our jobs and whatnot. So I'm just teaching online classes, doing a few free online immersions um, and then teacher training. And then I'll be going back to teaching in studio classes as well. And then, yeah, I have some big ideas percolating right now Ooh. about, you know, how I can make what I'm doing more accessible 
and yeah. you know bring more of these conversations around privilege and racism into yeah. what I'm doing as well so Amazing. I guess stay tuned for that so good well thanks for being such a huge inspiration Duncan um, and um, I really recommend to everyone to check out your, uh, your YouTube and your um, your classes that you have on there they're absolutely phenomenal so thank you for those offerings well You're so welcome Claire thank you yeah thank you and I'll put all of your um your links and your details on the show notes so that people can um can check you out and uh, so thank you again and have a lovely day Duncan okay thanks Claire it was so fun talking with you and there you have it. Thank you so much for listening. And I do hope that you enjoyed this episode and gained some new insights. If you're enjoying this podcast, please do share it with friends you think may benefit from the message. And if you'd like to rate the show and give it a review on iTunes, not only would I be so happy, but this will also help increase the show's visibility so that more people can benefit from the messages. I would love to connect with you. So you can find me on Instagram. My handle is underscore Claire with an I and an E Bradshaw underscore. I so totally can't wait to connect with you soon. Have a beautiful day.